those that know me, I don't like using notes. Tonight, uh, I need them. So uh, we just pray and ask God to bless us and to meet with us and to uh, open up his word to us, make it alive and live. Uh, he is the living God who saves and speaks. So let's come to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you are my God. And Lord, that you've loved me so much. And Lord, I thank you that you use weak things. And Lord, you use them, Lord, for your glory. And Lord, I'm weak, but you are strong. And Lord, that is really the true position of us all tonight. And Lord, we depend upon your grace and your mercy and your truth. And we pray as we gather here tonight that we will, in some way, through your word, through your spirit, through your power, uh, come closer to you. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we heard a little bit about identifying with Christ. And some of what I'm going to say tonight just carries on that theme. Uh, Easter isn't so much about celebrating but it's about being there. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Our sins were laid upon him at that moment in time. God did something remarkable. And it's something at Easter we draw near to the suffering servant. And we remember the sin and the pain he bore on behalf of us. And so for the Christian there is a real sense of, well, tenderness and nearness and you know he died for me I remember Mrs. Owen saying to me you can trust the one who died for you and it's so true he's a loving saviour and as we were studying Luke we, we saw how Luke talks about John by the river Jordan saying behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world you need to identify with him he's the lamb he's there for you He's there to be your saviour. And he's the only lamb that God offers that makes full atonement for sin. And so identity with Christ is very, very important. The great apostle Paul, born a Jew, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a pedigree, an education. He had a standing with his people, he could arrest anybody that he thought was breaking God's law. He felt that he was a teacher of the law. He felt that he was just in his sayings and in his living and that to him belonged as a Jew the kingdom of God. And one day, one day all that God had promised would be his. And then he through the law learned that he was a transgressor. He through the law learned that when God spoke into his heart, he realized that the one he was persecuting was his very savior on the Damascus Road. And blinded by that, that light, he fell on his face and he asked the Lord what he would have him to do. And he came to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no problem identifying with him. He had no problem in serving him, in, in going forth and doing whatever Christ wanted. In that moment, Paul was transformed beyond recognition 
Even people that met him couldn't quite work out, is he really saved? Is he really one of Jesus' followers? And they were frightened of him at first, but yes, he, he truly was. He was transformed, and he was identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, so much so that he could say that Jesus was his saviour. He was his righteousness. He was the one that he served and, and whom God had made him an apostle and a servant. He was proud to own the Lord, to boast in nothing but Christ alone. So when he wrote to his countrymen, who seemed to be quite happy to have Moses as their father and to trust in the law and in the sacrifices of the Old Testament and felt that they were like Paul used to be. What, a, what have you got to show me? What have you got to tell me, Paul? You know, we know the, the law. We keep the law. We establish it. We tell people what to do. And Paul tries to tell them that that law wasn't given to save them. It was given to show up sin. It was given to make them feel their need of Christ, to make them feel their need of Calvary, of need of justification by faith and faith alone. So Paul wanted his countrymen to not rely on being a Jew, circumcision. He didn't want them to rest in the law. He wanted them to rely in what Christ had done alone. And so... In Romans 4, he brings them to a point where there was no Jew in existence. He brings them back to Abraham, who's not just the father of a nation, but the father of many nations. And he shows them that Abraham, just like him, trusted in the righteousness of God. He claimed none of his own. He believed the promises of God. Leave your home, follow me, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to make of you a father of many nations. He believed the promises. When Sarah couldn't have a child, he believed God's promises towards him. And he made some mistakes, but yet he staggered not that God could fulfill it. When he went to offer his son, he by faith drew that knife and God stopped him. And provided a lamb. And so Abraham knew what it was to have a substitutional sacrifice. He knew what it was to also believe in the resurrection from the dead. He believed that he would enter back with his son and his son would be okay. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. He believed in an imputed righteousness which is there for us, it says in the last verses. Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us to whom it shall be imputed. God has promised to do that for you tonight, to take the righteousness of Christ and say, you, you don't owe me anything. My son paid it all. Come to the cross, come to the Saviour. But we know that Paul says something else here. He says he was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification or our righteousness. 
for what we had done, for the shortcomings, for the sins that we have, Christ was crucified, but he raised, was raised again. And so to understand something of the glories of the resurrection and the glories that are brought to us through Christ, we need to be identified with him. We need to come to him and say, Lord, I'm resting in the finished work of Christ. I'm resting in what you did at Calvary. And so as we celebrated Easter, we remembered that he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. It took a lot for God to become man. We know that on the, the banks of the Jordan, uh, as he came up out the water, his father said, this is my beloved son. And we know in his resurrection, Paul in chapter 1, in the, in the first few verses, says that he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God uh, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. At his resurrection, we see that God again declares his son as he declared him by the banks of Jordan. But he came down and he emptied himself and he made himself of no reputation. He says he'd become a bondservant, a form of a servant. And we know being in the form of God, he became the servant of God. He wasn't just our servant. He was actually doing his father's will. He was doing all that his father had set out for him to do. He delighted in doing the will of his father. I do always um, things that please him. The works that I do, they are of the father. And he came also, we are told, in the likeness, the likeness of men. He was like us, but without sin. He took upon that human body which could suffer death. His resurrection body will be one that, that death cannot touch. So it was made that it was able to suffer. He was made so he was able to suffer death. I find that quite staggering. and We touched on it this morning. And he was fashioned as a man. This is how they looked upon him. This is how they saw him. This is how they interacted with him. He was a real person. And then we see he become obedient unto death. Why was he there? He was there for us. Why was he being obedient? Because he knew that we needed his obedience. All, all man's disobedience had pushed him away from God. All man's disobedience had caused him to sin, to break God's law. And so he was obedient to his father's will. And he endured that cruel and terrible cross. And there you see that's him coming down for us. And we, we uh, remembered our sins were laid upon him, that he came down and lived that life that we could not live. We saw that he was crucified. And Paul could say of Christ, I am crucified with him. Well, that was a few years ago, Paul. How can you say that? No, Paul, for Paul, it was a present reality. It wasn't something that 
had just happened and it was a matter of fact. It was very personal. Do you see yourself like that? Do you see yourself as crucified with Christ? Because Paul did. He said, but nevertheless I live. And the life which I live, I live because of him and through his spirit and with his help. A different life, a resurrection life. That is one of the fruits of the resurrection. A glorious life for you to live with the power of the spirit energizing you, helping you. We have to put to death sin. We have to not, we mustn't give place to the devil. We have to resist the devil. We also have to resist our own passions. We, we need to uh, follow the Lord and, and, and live not according to the flesh. Galatians, the, the people at Galatia, uh, Paul says, you've begun so well. You began in the spirit, now you're trying to live according to, by the flesh. It's not working. You're, you're, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. And very often, when we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, it's because we're not near to the Lord. It's because we're not reading. It's because we're not praying. It's because we're not listening to him. We're wanting to go our own way. Or we, like sheep, have gone astray. And we have to tell ourselves, no, it is written, God has said, I must obey. We must mortify the deeds of the flesh, and we shall live. So Paul says, I'm crucified. And this is one of the resurrection fruits. I'm living because of being crucified. I have new resurrection life. Paul also says that he is dead. In Ephesians 2, it says, And you who hath he quickened, who were dead. There's been a change because of Calvary. There's been a change because of the resurrection of the dead. God is quickening us, making us alive in him. Then we are told in baptism that we are buried with him. It's showing us something of our union with Christ. Easter isn't something far off that people celebrate or think it's a lovely thing to celebrate and, uh, and sort of fuzzy. We're there. We're with Christ. He's bearing our sin. We are crucified with him. We're on uh, the cross with him. Our sins, not the part, but the whole. They're nailed to his cross. I don't bear them anymore. It is well with my soul. And if you're dead to sin, then Paul says, how can we live for it? We're dead to it. You can't receive the wages of sin is death. Christ has received that. So if you do wrong, there's no more payment for sin, he says. There's nothing more to be paid. Christ has paid it. Live. Live with the power God has given you. So he says, you as he quickened. In Ephesians 2, 5, you have he quickened, even though we were dead quickened us together with Christ. Here again, this togetherness with Christ in his resurrection. And what has he done to us? Well, he's highly exalted Christ, giving him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. But what has he done for us in Ephesians 2? He, he's raised us up. He's raised us up with him. Made us to be seated in heavenly places in Christ. And it says that in the ages to come, we are going to be manifested with him. 
He's going to show the goodness of Calvary. He's going to show to us all how great he is in the redemption that he has brought for us. And so being identified for Christ, uh, with Christ is so important. It is Christianity. If you didn't feel anything this Easter about what Christ did on the cross, if you couldn't identify with him, if you couldn't appreciate the work that he was doing on behalf of you, then search the scriptures. Find out the one who loved you and gave himself for you. The one that bore your penalty. And so, Paul says, he was delivered from offenses and was raised again for our justification. When Christ rose from the dead, his father had nothing more to exact from his son. But what does that mean? He had nothing to exact from you neither. It means that the full penalty for sin was paid. That's staggering. And he raises him from the dead. Jesus says he received that commandment of his father. And his father raised him. They were, they were both operativing it. He rose from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Death was not able to hold him any longer. It had paid, he had paid the full penalty of our sin. Like someone going to court, receiving the judgment, and then five years later, coming out of jail and saying, I'm clear, I've, I've paid. But more than that, he rose from among the dead. He rose for our justification because we can know by his being risen that we know, owe nothing. God accepted what Christ has done. Also, the resurrection brings another glory to us. We are accepted in the beloved. Man was rejected. That was his position, wasn't it? In the Garden of Eden, rejected by God. You can't live with me anymore. You cannot fellowship with me anymore. The communing is lost. And now in the beloved, we find acceptance. We have a mediator between God and man. And he's not a dead mediator. He's a living Lord. And we can go to him. And so the resurrection of Christ means that we have been saved. Sin has been defeated. Satan has lost his grip on man, the man who is trusting in Jesus. Death itself Oh, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It didn't hold Jesus. It's not going to hold you. That is what God is going to do for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see more of this wonderful victory. This perishable will be clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. That the saying will come true, death has been swallowed up of victory. Christ's resurrection, resurrection means that he will be victorious in your life. I find that a comfort when we have communion and we, we say, he who is able to present us faultless before his presence, before his throne, 
uh, we, we can't see ourselves like that. But that's how Christ sees you. God sees you as righteous in him. And one day, we shall appear to all in that new, imperishable, incorruptible body. Tra- changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall rise first. The resurrection means then that there is hope. Hope to be changed from these vile bodies. And yet, in these vile bodies, these bodies made of clay, there's that treasure that belongs to God. That which is in you, which is everlasting, that which is with you, which, which nothing can snuff out. It's the Spirit of God giving life to you, changing you. I'm not what I used to be. Made lots of mistakes. I repented a thousand times, I still do. But I thank God because through the Lord Jesus Christ, like Paul says, He giveth me the victory. And we can say, There's no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. It's all because His resurrection did something. He didn't die for Himself, He died for you. He didn't hang on the cross for His own sins, He died there for you. He rose from the dead and he rose there to his rightful place to receive the glory which he left behind when he became a man. But he ever lives and lives there for you. And that's the glory of the resurrection. Ben touched on it this morning. We have a living hope. Paul said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a living hope. How? By the resurrection of the dead. Living and eternal. The resurrection also means there is some present suffering. We are still in the body. We suffer because of ourselves, our own foolishness. But we suffer as Christ did because he lived in a world that rejected him. We are told that they reject us too. And so there is indeed some hardship for belonging to Christ. But in that hardship there is joy. Remember Paul and Silas in the prison and they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. They could only do that if they really understood what their suffering was for and who it was for. The eternal God, they were counted worthy of suffering for him. They put it in the light of glory and it meant something completely different, but it weren't pleasant. We read in Hebrews that others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's very strange. A better? What is, what is John saying here? A better resurrection? Can there be anything better? Well, let's see. Let's go to, to, let's go to, to John and, and see what John 5 and 26 says. And as the Father has given life in himself, so has he given to his Son to have life in himself. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because the Son of Man. Remember Luke kept telling us he's the Son of Man. 
marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all they that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Just like Lazarus did. That will be you. And shall come forth. And then we have this. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. There is a better resurrection. Belongs to the believer trusting in Christ. Accepted in the beloved. But there is a resurrection coming for you, my friend. You cannot escape death. But you cannot escape the resurrection neither. You cannot, ex you, you cannot escape the judgment of God. Where can I go? How can I flee from the presence of the Lord? We can't. And so, on that day, what are you looking for? And you might say, well, did you not read that, Steve? It says, those who have done good to the resurrection. Uh, surely that's me. Surely. John 1, 15, 12 says this. It makes no bones. Has the Son has life. If you're good, you have the Son. Because then you'll have life. John saying, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It couldn't be any plainer. It's simple English. A child can understand that. In the resurrection. Are you facing judgment? Or are you facing God's mercy? Are you accepted in the beloved? Are you made fit? Has he paid the price for your sin? Do you own him as your Lord? Because he is a son of God with power. He was a son of man and the servant of God and the servant of man. But he's a son of God with power. Power to save, power to set you free, power to change lives, to turn lives around, to give new meaning to your life, new purpose, because he lives. If he didn't live, then he would have paid for our sins. And who would have changed our bodies? Who would have brought us into heaven? It is Christ's work from beginning to end to complete that which he has set out to do. We need to repent because he is coming as judge. Psalm 110 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. God is going to bring this world into order. It's chaos at the moment, but he will bring it into order. The resurrection means so much to us, doesn't it? For those that mourn, it means that death hasn't got the final victory. Christ has. Those that sleep in Christ, he will bring with him. What a glorious day that will be. What a day, that bright morning, when we wake up in glory. What a, and we'll worship the lamb for us was slain. 
And as eternity passes, we shall ever, ever, ever be with him up in glory. What a day. My friend, there is someone that bears the imprints in his hands. And for some reason, for some reason, God has permitted them to remain. I can't understand that. Only that every time I look upon him, I realize he died for me. And that's what we can say, isn't it? He died for me to set me free. To give me life, the one that made the flower, that made the stars, that does all things well. The one we cannot begin to fathom or understand. The one we should fall back in awe and wonder at for me. And he's brought me into fellowship and communion with God. A relationship, relationship so I have power to live. Hallelujah. What a saviour. I do pray that he is yours this evening. The one who is able to bring us nigh by his blood. We were once far away. And now there's a way back to God for the path of sin. We were once separated. We were once rejected and not accepted. And now we've been brought near. And so the resurrection is joyful. The resurrection is wonder. I do hope and pray as you meditate on what Christ has done. And as you realize you were with him, your sins were with him on that day. How poor and his resurrection, his death, his burial and resurrection. Well, we're going to sing our last face to face. What a day that's going to be. When we see our Savior face to face. I always remember uh, June singing so lovely. And I wished, I wished I'd given him more.
Thank you. 